when it comes to money, you have centralized money and decentralized money. And then when it comes to AI, you have centralized AI, which came out first, but now we're seeing this massive demand and interest and energy around decentralized AI. And it will be the same for all of these, um, all these powerful technologies, which um, historically have been held by a few, but we now have mechanisms and protocols to mean that they can be disseminated across more and more people and more and more decentralized over time. Hopi, welcome to the show. It is really, really good to have you. Thank you very much, guys. Really, really, I, I'm a fan of everything you do, and uh, I'm looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, for the audience who does not know you, and um, especially I think most of our AI Unchained listeners are Bitcoiners also, but, um, but just in case they missed the memo, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and um, talk a little bit about your project and also, like, how you got to Fetty and, like, what put you there, so to speak. Okay, so um, my name's Obi, and I'm one of the co-founders of Fetty, um, and I'm the CEO. And Fetty um, does a number of things, but it has a combination of technology and human resources to solve problems for some of the most disempowered communities in the world and to empower them. And that's communities could be uh, Bitcoiners who want access to freedom finance, but it could be people in the global South, it could be people under the yoke of authoritarian regimes, it could be displaced communities, people everywhere from West, East, North and South. And we do this with a technology, which is the Fedi app, the Fedi app is like a private super app run by communities for you as a user. So instead of it being run by, um, it has private chats, private wallets, and more. We call these things Fedi mods, which can be upgraded. But instead of it being something like WeChat or what Elon wants eventually for X.com to be, being run by, you know, a the Chinese government potentially <laughs> or uh, or uh, or a uh, uh, Silicon Valley entrepreneur it's run by your own set of communities for you uh, hosted by them a combination of people who are in that community but giving you all the capabilities and power of of these other systems so it gives access to private money because it it, it, uh, it uses Bitcoin um, lightning and Xiaomi and eCash it gives you access to chat as well. And the combination of these means that within the Fedi app, you can instant message money via eCash from one person to another. In fact, because eCash is a bearer instrument, it has these really incredible abilities. For example, the ability to send value even without an internet connection in certain circumstances. Oh, that's interesting. So there's all these really cool things that um, are possible once you combine these all in one. And then the other side of Fedi as an organization is the human element. So we have um, dozens and over time hundreds of um, what we call Fedi Knights who are effectively, you can think of it as like a, a decentralized genius bar. For what <laughs> Fedi Knights, I love so, that. <laughs> exactly, I know, I know. Uh, my name is obi, obi. Um But these act like a decentralized genius bar. 
often you see um, um, software solutions are just software and they don't think about the holistic solution problem that they're trying to solve. Mm -hmm. um, people who do think about this are examples are um, Tesla and I would say Apple with the iPhone. So whether you like Teslas or iPhones, you have to admit that there's this technology solution. It's uh, this um, wheeled robot in the case of Tesla, or it's this um, smartphone in the case of Apple. But on top of it, just as important is the supercharger network in the case of, of Tesla. So that wherever I go, I don't have range anxiety because I know there's this network of physical locations where I can recharge. And, and that elevates um, Tesla beyond other electric cars because of that. I mean, the case, same with the iPhone versus Android. They're both functionally relatively similar. But on top of the iPhone, you also have this network of Apple stores and these genius bars where if I have a problem and I'm a non-technical user, I in the West, they, they, they don't tend to be in sub-Saharan Africa and so on. But if you're in the West, you can rock into one of these and have support from people who are passionate, knowledgeable, and ready to help you no matter what your needs are. And that elevates having an iPhone beyond just having a very nice smartphone. And if you're a technical user and you can figure out yourself, then you're great. You can go off and um, you can root your Android phone and put on your own Linux operating system and so on. But for the majority of non-technical users, that's why they always opt for the iPhone because they know that this is a holistic um, solution. And we're doing the same. We're a super app as well. We're making a super app, but alongside that, we have this network of people that we are hiring in all parts of the world, um, Latin America, Africa, Southeast Asia, who speak the local languages, understand the local context, and are there to support those communities who use Fedi to make sure they use it to its absolute um, um, ultimate capability and they can answer any questions they may have of course we make the app as simple to use as possible but whatever questions they need to fully utilize it how do they get access to bitcoin how do they um deal with remittance whatever it may be we will solve them and we understand the solutions are context specific so the way you solve that in mexico will be different to the way you solve that in Ghana, et cetera, et cetera. That's why we need people locally to That's ask a good that point. question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because there's chat, et cetera, involved in the app as well, the, the service and support can be provided directly within the app as well. Yeah. That's fascinating. You know, the, the thing that gets me about Fedi and how much have you kept, I mean, y'all probably busy building like crazy, um, but have you, uh, uh, heard of the last episode we had was GP Utopia. And then uh, also, do you know about Hole Punch and uh, that protocol and stuff? Uh, are, you, are you aware of either I'm, of those? I'm, from, I'm from, familiar with, with both of them. I haven't yet listened to your episode on GP Utopia, but it's definitely on my list to listen to because uh, it's something that um, I've talked about a lot over the, and we'll, we'll come to it on the AI side. Gotcha, yeah. So this is something that has just been kind of blowing my mind and uh, kind of a it's, – it's really a large part of the reason I started AI Unchained, actually, is because, like, what I think AI and a lot of these – there's this an incredible amount of building happening in sort of like peer-to-peer -peer protocols in just 
the idea of separating the center. You know, Noster, another phenomenal example. And I feel like they've made it so far past anything that I've used before. You know, every time I used some alternative, it always had some, like, really glaring trade-off. Like a, like a serious trade-off. And I'm seeing a lot of those trade-offs kind of be diminished to the point that I don't think about them while I'm interacting with these things. And I originally just thought of Fetty as, when, when I first heard, uh, watched your uh, talk or whatever, your announcement, my original thinking was that it was like, okay, it was just kind of like a multi-sig protocol, right? It was just like, how do we, how do we build a multi-sig? I mean, it was, was kind of like liquid. But uh, the more I listened to your stuff and then like the very brief conversations we had, um, or messages we had back and forth, I, I realized that you were seeing it much more as like, this is kind of a peer-to-peer -peer architecture. This is kind of a, a group communication platform. And, uh, and I think it was Cody, Cody I was talking with too, who kind of like really dug, pulled this thread a little bit um, of like, this is actually much more broad than just how do we manage a multi-sig. Um, and so kind of what was your discovery there? Was that your original intent? Or did you just kind of stumble upon no, the fact that this works really well? You, we stumbled upon it. Oh, wow. We stumbled wow. upon okay. it. But it, right, it is this sort of mechanism. It's understanding that there are different aspects of, of humanity that are powerful. One is our ability to innovate, our personal ability on an individual basis to excel at things. So we study, we excel, we get better. And that is one driver of human innovation the individual. Um, then there's the, um, the other driver is competition. That, you know, in, in the furnace of competition, whether that be violent competition in terms of war or ideally more better, non-violent competition in terms of commerce, commerce, we, again, by trading, competing, we advance society as well. So this is a, a, a communal thing, but where different people are in opposition to each other. And that also leads our, our society to advance. But then the last one is our ability to form communities and to cooperate, cooperation, as opposed to competition or individual um, excellence. It's comp uh, cooperation is the final mechanism. And there are very few technologies in the um, Bitcoin space that were focused on taking this human power of cooperation, of community, and using Bitcoin, using other protocols to focus on that and optimize that and be this, this tool to allow us to work together efficiently. And that's the space that, there are a few, but that's the space that Feddy comes in. Now, the, when we first came, um, came across Feddy Mint, which is a protocol that Feddy is built on, um, it was a protocol to take Chamuni Cash, which is which has been around in a sort of um, in a single server um, centralized manner for 40 years, but to do something unique to it and allow it to run in a federated manner where there was no single point of trust. And that was incredibly powerful and very exciting. So it was seen initially as this just trust reduced um, privacy preserving um, wallet. Um, Later on, when I talked to one of my two co-founders, Eric, and the inventor of, of Fediment, it became clear that actually, if you combine this with the trust dynamics of community, it could actually be this form of 
a mechanism for community custody of money, not just for an, an individual thinking about it from a privacy point of view, but you gain privacy, but access to the rest of the Bitcoin ecosystem through uh, on-chain Bitcoin payments, but also through the Lightning Network and community custody of money. And that's it. then the vision expanded. And then um, a number of chance conversations um, and discussions made us realize that this protocol could be applied to any to federate and and operate in a community manner any form of computation. It doesn't need to be the computation related to money. So it could also be um, computation related to communication. So you could use this to be the center of a community's um, communication as well as their their custody in one place. And then once you and and it could be extended in other ways which were relevant and bespoke to a given community. So it was an extensible architecture to be to be extended in any way you can imagine. For example, you could have any lots of ideas have come our way. Community um, adjudication of decisions, so community savings, community lending, community anything that makes sense to do in a community context could be extended. But different communities will need some, some will need others. So this is extensibility. But once you have chat plus wallet plus extensibility in one place, you effectively now need some interface to that. And that's where Feddy, the app, came about. It's, it's this one place. It's a home for your community and your uh, all your communities. Because as a user, you connect to multiple um, Fedimints, and each one of them are, can represent different communities. So one could be your family. And you could have, you know, your Uncle Jim Federation, effectively, where you're holding maybe more value because it's more trusted. Another one could be your local community. Another one could be your workplace, which is another form of community. And every, every organization is another form of community. And you have one app which will allow you to view all of them in one way, where you can see all of your chats in one, all of these community-focused chats in one place, all of your um, value being stored in the different communities that you wish to store them in. And each community can augment the app with functionality which they are hosting, which is specific to that sub-community. So, and so this is effectively in terms of a private, because it's still private to you. Each use case, each, even though you're a member of all these communities, your particular use of value and so on is still private to you because of the, the properties afforded by in the case of chat, um, peer to um, enter in decryption, and in the case of in the case of money, Chaminikash, you still retain privacy of, of this, even though you are um, the running of these um, of these these things is is being delegated to these different communities. So you're sharing the it's it's a it's a system to share, particularly in the context of money, to share custodial trust and to, yeah. to distribute custodial trust and to still retain full privacy while you're interacting with that community. Like that's, that's yeah. crazy. That's crazy to think about that. We kind of have that, like that that's even possible now, you know, like for the amount of time that I feel like these issues have been beaten to death and attempted to have a working solution. Um, what I'm curious in the process of building and, like kind of beating this to death, what have been your big uh, issues? What have, what have been your biggest challenges and how well does this, have you found this t to scale, like in the context of like 
asymmetric communication. If you've got like a chat history and you know twenty people are offline out of fifty or something like that, like how does how have y'all solved or gotten around those issues? So the technologies to do all these things have been around for a long time. So what Feddy is doing is bringing them all together into one place. So we still use for chat, we're using tried and tested protocols, but those protocols deeply integrated with money in the form of Bitcoin, Lightning, and um, Chamonix Cash. That's something that's 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 new. Um, and so we're not trying to reinvent the wheel on chat. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to Chamonix Cash, that is uh, a lot of new IP under the form of Fedimint and so on. But that has been worked on by Eric for um, well over three years now. And also oh, wow. in the okay. first few years, it was under the, with a lot of work and um, um, oversight by um, many of the guys at Blockstream. Because one of the first people to see um, the potential for the Fediment protocol was Blockstream. So so nice. we had a lot. And, and now it's an Incredibly active open source protocol, the, the Fedimint protocol, with with a number of great developers from multiple backgrounds, ranging from Google and Microsoft and many others who are working on on the protocol. So the new element of a federated champion eCash, the first form of eCash which doesn't require a single point of trust, it can work in a single person mode, but it can very easily work with five, four, seven, ten, or more people to or however many you, you wish to to minimize the trust that that one is the, the thing that's new that's added to the mix and it works very well with chat because it's a bearer instrument um if two people are having a conversation with each other i can literally send ecash to them in that conversation as easily as i could send an emoji to the person so you can instant message the money because the message is the money yeah, yeah, yeah. in the form of eCash. So, so it works really well in one user experience. And, uh, and, and so what we've seen in terms of, to your question though, uh, the lessons, well, I could, I could spend an hour just talking about the lessons. <laughs> um, and one thing that we want to try and do actually over the coming months is maybe give these sort of um, update emails where we say some of the experiences on the ground in in uh, parts of Latin America or the or uh, Africa or 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 Europe or wherever it may be, um, and some of the lessons we've been learning, what we've been seeing, what challenges we've been having, and how we've been we've been um, um, adapting because of that, so people can see the journey as we've gone along, um, as opposed to you know while our final product and final form, yeah, yeah, um, but. Uh, it's it's um it's a very reliable system, but it took a lot of time to get to that point. So we've had issues with making sure it's reliable, um, resilient. It can adapt when when different members of a federation who are running it go offline and online. It should just be bulletproof. So we've had lots of learnings about that, um, and we wanted to make sure we test that in smaller groups before we roll it out more widely because it should just work, especially for the, we want it to support people who are from all walks of life and they just want a system that just works and yeah. they don't want to worry about the details. So it needs to have high reliability. Um, there was a lot, a lot of learnings from UX and we've, 
we felt we understood, but uh, our having real users who are non-technical, non-Bitcoiners, who are in environments where maybe the internet's not so great, or where sometimes where levels of financial literacy are not so high, you know, it's you really have to um, reassess how you do your UX. So already our app looks quite different from most other offerings in this space but uh, uh it's going to it's going to look very very different because we're, we're taking a very much a user-centered design design thinking approach um which basically means recognizing that you don't know anything <laughs> and yeah building something because you have to have something in someone's hands but then giving it to them yeah. and um seeing what they do and they come back with and initially the last few months we've we where we've been rolling out and working with certain groups, we we got tons of incredible feedback, but certain aspects of our UX we've had to basically go back to the drawing board and redo because you know what you you keep thinking that you're you're designing for the user, but really you're designing it for yourself as a Bitcoiner with a ton of implicit understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. about how Bitcoin works. And even if you think you've removed that, there's still several levels of stuff you've got to remove to uh -huh. just cut out stuff or are you trying to even how you educate people do we even need to educate people sometimes or do we first solve their problem get them a product that they can use and makes their life better and then behind the scenes you know incept understanding of how it works over the following x years but first get them to be engaged and getting them to use it yeah. and then later but always make the information available if they are interested to learn but not require them to learn it before they can even start. Yeah. You know, these, these, and this is come from just being, having to, as Odell would say, you know, stay humble and you think you're humble and you're not, you're still not humble <laughs> enough. We've got a lot of humble pie that we have to still keep on eating. Cause every time we do, we learn more and the UX becomes better. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, um, I've the only, uh, I still have the app. And I only used it like a couple of times because uh, people were passing around eCash. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, I want some eCash. You kidding? And uh, uh, I've, so I've got the Fetty Alpha. Is this still in Alpha? Where kind of in the branch of or in the arc of a uh, building are you? It's still, it's still Alpha. Um, that's the name. Um, but it's, it's gone through many iterations. And... Um, we have you see it in public outings at events and so on so that tends to be short-term things but um behind the scenes we're working with various communities on these long-running pro projects to see how they're using it why they're using it when they stop using it why and then update and adjust and so we're starting to see a few there's like i would say there's about five use cases which um, are very compelling, which we are focusing our attention of, on optimizing for. Um, but they all relate to um, things that um, are compelling enough to make communities want to use this on an ongoing basis. It levels up a community. That's what, that's, that's what we're saying. So I won't go into too much detail about what they are now, but, but, they, but um, I would say that... Some of the, uh, some of them relate to AI as well, actually. Okay. That we see as, and that actually could be an interesting segue. 
But, um, but that's, that's what we focus on. What are the use cases that are going to lead to a level of engagement which is, or a level of, of improvement for the online or, or in real life um, lives of, of members of the community, so much so that people will change their habits to form new habits. Gotcha. So if it's going to be 5-10% better, we don't really focus on that. There are, there are dozens of ways in which we can be 5-10% better, but we want to focus on the ones where it could potentially be an order of magnitude better for in some way or another. Because that's going to be the thing that's going to make people think, okay, I'm going to change my day-to-day -day habits to make this part of my day-to-day -day habits. And so that's where we're focused on right now. This show is brought to you by the Cold Card Hardware Wallet. My favorite setup, which I know I talk about a lot, is the Nunchuck Wallet on mobile that just connects directly to or just talks NFC whenever I need to sign. The Nunchuck does not hold my keys. It is securely on my cold card not connected to the internet, not vulnerable to a phishing email or any malware or anything like that. If I ever need to send a transaction, I just create the transaction on my nunchuck wallet and I tap it to my cold card, I hit sign, I tap it again, and then off it goes. There is no easier interface and way of interacting that grants a higher level of security, in my opinion, than that right there. It's genuinely incredible to me that we even have this capability in the Bitcoin space. And CoinKite has just made an entire suite of fascinating security and just fun Bitcoin devices and hardware products like the block clock. Just connect it to your node and have it show the, the Bitcoin price, have it show the block height, just right there on your desk in this really cool package. If you haven't checked out what they have to offer, you definitely need to. And don't, when you go over there, do not forget that I have a 9% discount code. Bitcoin Audible, all one word, gets you 9% off. And you can go through the link in the show notes or just remember the discount code, which is not hard. It's just the name of the show. Um, uh, you can go through the link in the show notes to go right there or just go to the store, browse around, see what you want, get yourself a solid hardware wallet, experience the tap to send with a cold card hardware wallet. It is, it's just kind of magical. And uh, get notified for the Q1. I'm really stoked about my my Cypherpunk Blackberry, the new model that's going to be coming out. So check that out as well. Um, and uh, yeah, don't forget, 9% off. The link is right in the show notes. Go check them out. So how does the integration with, how has the integration with Lightning gone? And how exactly does that work? Because in the context of, I'll, I'll tell you, because this is, as a user, this would be my major use case. Like I would drop Wallet of Satoshi and I mean, not that I don't like Wallet of Satoshi, but uh, I would drop them in a second if with the Fetty Mint app or the Fetty app, I could get a LN URL and the Federation was essentially my always online so that I could always receive um, and I could pay any lightning invoice. Those two things, like that would basically, or I could generate a lightning invoice in order to receive eCash in Fetty. Like, so just that, that lightning integration both ways and then the LN URL. Yeah. I would, that would be that's, my 100% Noster yeah. solution. I wouldn't, I would not use anything else really um, outside of my, my sovereign, you know, wallet, you know, but. Uh, of course. Know. Yeah, I mean, so the integration with Lightning is from a from a if you're an, a user of the Fedi app, which is connected to one or more federations, um, 
you will be able to see the different federations within the app. Just like if you have Slack, you can see multiple Slack channel, Slack um, um, organizations, okay. or Discord, or multiple Discord channels. Mm -hmm. you, you have the ability to see multiple um, federations. Um, and within a federation, you can send and receive over Lightning um, and um, soon mention of as well, of course. And the experience is as if you are using any of these other apps, but the difference is um, it's not being run by one centralized third party. And you, if you, if you were um, inclined, you can also set up your own federation and provide it for your own purposes and other um, members of your community, whether that be a small community of your family to, uh, or a larger community, a, a meetup group or, or even more. So, but anyone who's using it, their, their process of joining will be to scan a QR code and which will be the address of the, or to be sent by a, some sort of messenger app to them, which is the address of the, um, the credentials of the federation. And that's it, they've signed up. You scan the QR code and you're, you're, you're joined. No email required, no phone number required or so on. And then when you want to use it, you would um, scan a QR code to pay, um, or you could enter a, a, a Bitcoin address or a Lightning address to pay and, and send them out to it, or vice versa. It, it, it works very, very seamlessly. But on top of that, you would also have the ability to chat and anyone in your in that given um, community, you'll be able to talk to, um, have an encrypted conversation with them. You won't have to switch apps. And while you're having a conversation with them, the alternative would be, okay, you, you owe them a bit of money or they owe you money. You can just, while having the conversation, you can click and enter the amount and click send. And in the conversation, you'll see it's been sent and sending sent a second or so later, you would have sent eCash to them. And that's the other way. And what you find is, although you can do the scan the QR codes and so on, for people within the Federation, it's just so much more intuitive and natural and simpler to just instant message the money to, um, to them while you're chatting to them. Everybody gets that we've seen that the recognition and understanding of that is so high. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, so, um, even if people are non-technical, they immediately get that. Whereas when they start seeing QR codes, we are familiar with them. But for some people, that still, you still know, can be a little bit, a little bit alien. unusual. Slightly alien, yeah. But it, but it, but it operates exactly. But if you do want to do that, the user experience is like all these other apps. But again, um, even on that, there's going to be differences because we have feedback from um, really smart people. Um, but who are just non-technical from around the world okay. um, and who English is not their first language. English is their first language. They're based in North America, in Europe, but they're also based in the, you know, the uh, jungles of Kenya yeah. <laughs> and, 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 or suburbs of uh, San Jose, you know, in Costa Rica. It's, it's, and everything in between. And so we see all these different use cases, challenges, and issues, um, and and that is informing our UX. So even for the normal spending on Lightning or so on, what we hope is the experience will be best practice in the easiest way to scan and pay a Lightning invoice 
um, in the clearest way that works in the, the most light, lighting conditions. Little things like dark mode is cool if you're a coder, but it, if you have cataracts, it's really bad. And, and lots of people in many parts of the world where it's really sunny have cataracts, you know, and so they have trouble seeing those dark mode screens. We didn't learn That's that interesting. Until, I had no you know, idea. But if you go to these areas, you start learning things like that. So, you know, you want high contrast backgrounds. It's, it's just much more practical and easier for people to read. Stuff like that. Not Try to avoid too much text. Make sure your translations make sense for the different countries. Not just... Unfortunately, talking about AI, you can't just leave it just to straight auto-translation. Mm -hmm. You need to change it for the sense because certain words don't translate the sense across correctly. Stuff like that. Um, these are little details and they're like the last 5 to 10%, but they make a big difference in terms of the final experience and polish. So we're working on a lot of that based on incredibly valuable, priceless user feedback. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So it's funny, like I've, uh, I'm building a, or in the process of having a, a, a now good friend, a developer build a project. And it's funny how much, um, how much like I've found that some of the technical things, like the kind of behind the scenes stuff, um, so many, like, like you've said, is that so many of those problems are actually solved or there's some sort of built in thing or protocol that really does kind of make that solution feasible but then the ux is really where the like the ux is everything you know like making that ui intuitive so that the user just kind of is led to the place they need to be whenever they're trying to do something rather than needing to explain it or give them a paragraph of like how to think about it like that is a challenge man and i feel like that's like one of the biggest things that has been kind of pushed to the side or just kind of procrastinated on in a lot of these projects. So it's awesome to hear like that kind of being your, your, your biggest framing, I guess you could say, is that you've mentioned that in every, in every segment so far that like going back to you. Yeah, I have, I, I mean, it's a, um, it is, it, that's, I think the technology in Bitcoin, um, now that we have all these elements, we have Bitcoin, we have lightning, we have, we have Nostra, we have Fedimint, and more. We have splicing. We have all these different things. Putting it all together into one cohesive, um, um, simple-to-use UX is really, really important. But I, I, I do want to be clear, though. When I say UX, I don't just mean, and this is where I've had to be educated by our, our head of UX and, and many others who are supporting us. Um, UX is not just... Um, how it looks and how you press buttons. It's the entire holistic experience from soup to nuts, from hearing about you, how we talk about it, how we position it, and then how we uh, how the app looks, of course, but then also how it's supported beyond that. So part of the UX um, for if you want this to work globally is also a network of people on the ground in our mind to be able to support people because no matter what you do, you want to ideally, where you want to get to is you click a button and someone who understands where you're coming from, speaks your language, understands your own social situation and, and backdrop and of where you are, and also understands the app and, and the service and what we can and can't do, is available to then respond and answer questions and, and walk you through. That's part of the user experience as well. 
and that and and that is there's only so far you can go with just keeping it purely within the confines of the, the of the of the yeah. app and so when you combine them together so combining this customer success like this sort of insanely um efficient and knowledgeable and passionate team of people with um the code which is fedimint and lightning and bitcoin and the fedi app and nostr and so on and combining it all together that's when you get the cohesive complete um ux that is a really good point that is a really good point you know when you were saying ux that that was I, my my brain was going entirely to the app. It's like, okay, how do you guide the user? You're thinking whatever. more UI. I'm, I'm, You're thinking user I'm, interface as opposed to user experience. What's the I'm total equating experience? Them. That's exactly and that's right. and that's yeah. what that, that yeah. So imagine Tesla without the supercharger network. Yeah. It'll be a really nice app, but then you have range anxiety and you can only use it to go within a couple of hundred miles of your house, and that's it. Maybe you'll try to make it across to another. Um, person who's also got a Tesla um, grid, and and when you charge, you'll be charging off normal mains lines, so you have to wait a day or two to charge up your your Tesla, compared to the Tesla plus the supercharger network. So now, I have this this huge network across, say, North America, and so I can always find someone, um, find a supercharger um, depot charge up in half an hour and keep going. What would be the difference in user experience if you just had focused on the, the car but without the network around it? Yeah. You know, uh, what, what would be the difference in, the, and even forget supercharger network and Tesla, what would be the user experience of a car if you didn't have petrol stations, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know? Yeah. And, you didn't, and you didn't have service stations to service the car and so on, you know, mechanics and so on. That, that would completely change the user experience of having a car if you didn't have all those things around it that they're all part of the user experience and that's often what's missing in in the past and that's why we are in both equally uh we're a human company building up this human network to support an incredible product and the two combined lead to a, a user experience which is now okay this is something i can use to to level up my community because I know it's not just the app, but it's also this network around it to support it, to make sure that if we ever have any issues or questions, which again, funny enough, especially for this software, because it, once they have the first set of questions and are answered and, and, and it's operating, the amount of questions and que queries they have tend to tail off dramatically mm -hmm. because then they can, within their community, we teach them how to fish instead of give them a fish. So, we find people within that community who are the most passionate and knowledgeable and they end up answering most questions for people beyond the first first period but it's still important to have knowledge that it, that um for second third line support there are people there willing to support and able to support yeah when you're building a community in that way and you're you're actually building like genuine community interaction like you can kind of pull the leaders out give them the information and then let it disseminate naturally because you've you've built a network to connect people that way so that's a really interesting way but that's that's a really great point that's going to probably make me stop and take an hour and think really hard about what we are in the process of building 
So I, I'm really happy that you brought that up or you, you made that caveat because I, I think everybody should do that. Yeah. It's, and, and it should, we should think holistically, what's the full user experience. And, and the good thing about our network is it's, it can be utilized by anyone else within the Bitcoin community, this human network of effectively, we call them FedEye Knights <laughs> uh, around the world who are knowledgeable at Bitcoin, knowledgeable at Lightning, knowledgeable about um, Fediment and Fedi. And as Fedi can also within it, it access other services, especially if they're web-based, and because within the app, it has a built-in web browser inside the app, effectively, with WebLN support and so on, and seamlessly connect to them. If there are other services out there which want to support wider global communities, we can help them get their message out there as well and, and support it. If, if it's supported and works well with, with, within Fedi, then we can also say, well, for you, for your particular community, there's this service X. Um, we already do it. I, I can say some examples. Um, it makes sense to understand things that are local to your area that might set Bitcoin, for example. So a Fedi mod can be BTC Maps, where with one click, Within the app, you can load up BC maps and see what's local to your area. But another Fedi mod could be, it's often a need where if someone has received remittance from their family in Bitcoin, for example, and they want to use it to buy something locally, well, BitRefill is, is there. So again, within the app, you can click and open up BitRefill and access all of the, but BitRefill focused on the local area, showing the different things like, I don't know, um, mobile phone minutes, um, uh, operator minutes, or whatever it may be that you can buy that are relevant to that area, etc. So when every rollout, um, Fedi Mint and Fedi within a community, effectively along comes with it a number of relevant Bitcoin services that, again, users may not be aware of. All the solutions that they have are out there, but they're not put into one cohesive place with us. You have one view and you could see, okay, I can send and receive, but I can also, here are a number of set of services that are relevant to my community, one click away. And when I want to use them, I can click a button because they're within the app and because of the support for WebLN. Um, whenever you, a payment is finally, you get to navigate to the point where payment is required, a bit like Albi, but it's the other way around. Albi runs within a web browser. In the case of Fedi, Fedi has a web browser in it. It is the web browser. So that whenever you browse to that site and you come to payment, if it supports the WebLM protocol or in future L402 or so on, then it will pop up a, a, a dialog box saying this person, uh, instead of showing you the QR code to pay, it'll say this person wants you to send X, X amount of, um, of Bitcoin. Do you want to do that? And you click yes. And behind us, and then it will do the lightning payment. Now you could, if you want to, um, copy the um, um, copy the lightning URL, switch to your wallet, paste it in, yeah. submit it, or because the web browser and the wallet are the same thing, yeah. I just click yes, and it will send the cash through to a lightning gateway. Pay. I have incredible privacy, incredible simplicity low fees because it's going over lightning and all i needed to do as a user was click okay most of your transactions when you're dealing with websites will just be clicking okay after seeing a summary 
and not having to go through the scanning and the and the copying and pasting, etc. This seems like it would play very, very well with uh, progressive web apps. Yes, very, very and well. And because of, and maybe maybe partly because of Apple, like a, like being like, no, we're not going to do Nostra's apps or whatever. I've been seeing a lot of push for that, uh, which is really awesome to see kind of building apps in the browser in such a way that, you know, there's not really anything that the device can do can, to control how you can interact with them. So that's that's really interesting to kind of see that that level of integration. Um, uh, mm. But uh, one thing, uh, we've mentioned it twice now without actually getting to it, AI. So you guys were involved, because we had Cody on the show, um, and you guys were involved with the AI for All hackathon. And so how does this fit into this stuff? And also, one, one quick question, are you guys involved with Prim? Are you guys working with prim ai at all or was because cody mentioned um, that to me but i wasn't sure if that was a partnership or anything i'm not sure but uh, <laughs> we may very well be we're doing so many different things so it's hard <laughs> to tell but uh, but yes but um so yes uh, the ao for all was uh, an idea that uh, initially started with conversations between us and um stack work, Paul Etoy, because we both have a strong interest in this area. Um, prior to that, uh, AI was something I'd been talking with Paul Etoy for, for well over a year, because um, we both had backgrounds in AI. I, I, obviously, stack work does a lot of stuff, yeah, especially last year, um, and, and continues this year, but it's, it's evolved and, and expanded around um, providing resources to help train these AIs when um, uh, train these AIs. And my background was um, I actually studied computer science and cognitive science at university. Oh, no kidding. So I have a oh. long, yeah, well before uh, Bitcoin, I, because it's, I mean, university would have been 30 years ago now. <laughs> um, so um, I, I was building neural networks in secondary school. I think you call it high school. And um, I was, you know, in, in university, I was making neural network controlled um, mouse cursors, which would read brain waves and use a neural network to interpret them into mouse motions. So oh, wow. uh, I, this has been an ongoing area of interest. I have a number of friends in the AI space. Um, so it was clear, even early last year, that, that we were starting to head towards some sort of inflection point with earlier versions of of GPT-2 and then GPT-3, something special was happening. And um, the, you, you're, you, I, I can see you've gone down the AI rabbit hole, so you know about attention is all you need, the sort of seminal paper that came out mm -hmm. and Transformers and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, so that led me to think about AI um, and Bitcoin. And what became clear late last year was that um, for what AI entailed was a whole new paradigm for how we interact with computers. So um, there is another, there's another trend happening with, say, the metaverse, which is the sort of like visual computing, as uh, Apple will call it as well. And so we've had this period of, what, three decades of graphical user interfaces. 
um, starting with you know the Apple uh, Mac and Windows um, and Mac OS. And now we're heading into a new, and before that was text-based UIs, you know, command prompts. Mm-hmm. And now we're entering a new phase where I think you're going to see these sort of visual, I call them, you know, metaverse UIs. And then you have these AI-based UIs, these chat um, um, sort of interactive UIs. So for one of a better phrase, it's like metaverse plus AI UI. So a Maui instead of a <laughs> yeah. Um And you're going to have more of these. Um, but to power AI, you need GPUs. And to power um, metaverse, you need GPUs as well. These GPUs um, can be anywhere um, as long as they can service a query. And that's a common mistake that people make they they believe that because they see these supercomputers training ais they believe that to be then to use the ais you still need supercomputers which is not is not the case to train these sort of general purpose models you need you need um hundreds if not thousands of very powerful gpus in close proximity to each other so it effectively becomes a a supercomputer cluster mm-hmm. but once trained to use them to actually respond to a query for a given user only requires one GPU for a few seconds to respond to that query. So even if there are millions of users that may require collectively hundreds of thousands to millions of GPUs, any given user is only using one of them at a time. So what that means is that um, it is possible for an individual to compete with a large institution in terms of the speed and quality responsiveness because they're running the same code because it's open source. Um, and ultimately, a, a given user's query is going to be responsive by one GPU. If you only have one and someone has a million, they have no advantage by having a million for that given user's request. Yeah. It's like a it, so first of all, it's like a hash rate pool. It's like a Bitcoin pool for, for GPU. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So you're going to see the advent of the equivalent of mining pools, but it's like GPU AI processing pools instead. And GPUtopia is effectively a first example of something like that. But then you have another challenge that, um, how am I going to pay for this compute? If I limit myself to um, pay, paying monthly, then I'm going to cut out people who just want to do the odd query now and again. Mm-hmm. So... The ultimate, the, for the, the biggest market, you want to do pay as you go. But now, um, what happens, what medium of exchange am I going to use? Am I going to use something that's only available in certain countries or is available globally? If I make it only available in certain countries, which is what people are doing right now with OpenAI, it's a monthly fee and they use normal traditional um, mechanisms for payment. But by doing that, you're eliminating billions of potential customers. Yeah. For two reasons: one, by not making it pay as you go, and two, not making it available with Bitcoin, because that has the widest possible global 24/7 market. So they may continue to do that; it doesn't matter. But they're still cutting out billions of people from that market. And if I now support pay as my pay as you go, and I support payment by Bitcoin, I now have a massive market. This episode is brought to you by the Fold Card. This is the debit card that gets you sat back on literally everything in your life. 
actually got some boost back today on Starbucks. And they have a ton of these now for uh, sp specific merchants like uh, Who. This is HU. This is actually a company that I've been a big fan of for a long time. I think it was like 2.5 or 3% back if I spend at Who online. They make like super clean chocolates and like little cookies and stuff that are all grain free, keto friendly, and they're absolutely delicious. I had no idea until I was just looking through the boost that they had added that on. I was like, oh my God, I am so excited. Then of course, we also got our Whole Foods today. We got our groceries and because Whole Foods takes Amazon gift cards, we got 2.5% back on our groceries. And that's literally just the gift cards and the boosts, the card, the debit card, which is my main card. I just, I swipe it and I get sats. I just get sats all the time and I get spins so that I can win free sats also. I get daily spins, which on the spin wheel, you can literally win up to a full Bitcoin. Like people have genuinely won an entire Bitcoin, 100 million sats just from the spin wheel, just from using the fold card. And understand, I have used this to replace a boring crappy, I hate to deal with it, normal fiat bank. This has replaced that, and now it pays me sats all the time. I've gotten a quarter of a Bitcoin. Again, I did not pay. I did not buy. I did not, like, stack ongoing with, like, a pre-purchase plan a quarter of a Bitcoin. I got a quarter of a Bitcoin back with all of the purchases that I normally make in fiat by getting 1%, 2%, 3% back on just normal things that I do. So I've spent $100, I get like two bucks in Bitcoin. This is unbeatable when it comes to a low barrier way to stack enormous amounts of sats over time. Check them out. Go to bitcoinaudible.com fold. That is my special link that will also give you like 100,000 free sats just for checking it out, just for trying it. Again, bitcoinaudible.com fold. It's right there in the show notes. So it'll be really easy to find. Check it out. So that actually leads me to a question because... Um, uh, like, there's a lot of different elements, uh, particularly the one that I have been really intrigued by is AI and fraud, um, like like online fraud and the fact that if you can easily mimic somebody's face, because I've, I've done this, you know, easily mimic somebody's voice, and these sorts of things, you kind of get this really, and you can have an AI easily do your captures and stuff like that, you get to this place where, like, you can't really prove that someone is human. Um, in, in a yeah, digital world. And so it really lends itself to this e-cash, lightning, Bitcoin bearer asset being the only way to, at scale, with as little or a, a, no fraud, you, know, you don't have to think about fraud anymore as this potential cost keeps getting higher and higher, um, is that you just receive payment. You, you just get it immediately because it's bearer and it's instant. Um, so that was, a, that was always a huge piece of it for me. But the one... One thing that you actually brought up that got me thinking down a different thread here was the pay-as-you-go model. Because, because I always think that, like, okay, well, there's, you can still do subscriptions. You know, subscriptions work. A lot of people do it. It's become very common. But I realize it's only really – I only really know about it in the context of common in the, the Western world, the, the, the modern – like yeah. Europe and the U.S. And I realize that especially because um, – uh, what's the what's – the, What's the payment thing in Kenya that's so huge? Um, M-Pesa. M-Pesa. Um, and then, like, I know BitRefill is huge in, like, Africa and Latin America. Um, and the pay-as-you-go model, how much – are there more people on pay-as-you-go cell phones than yes. subscriptions? Worldwide, there's more people on pay-as-you-go than subscription, yes. Wow. Subscription model is much more of a, a, a luxury when you have 
you, you have um, resources to be able to afford it. Um, it tends to be lower costs by doing that because you're paying, you're paying up front. Yeah. So it's a virtuous circle that you have money so you can afford to do it. So you get more money because yeah. you save more money. But yeah. majority of people, if you're in a lower income, you're going to have to go pay as you go. And you, you can, you can intuit this by looking at in, in the West. If people are on lower incomes, they tend to have these payment meters for their fuel. Yeah. As opposed to why don't they just pay for their fuel monthly? Because it's, Unfortunately, it's it's um, it's uh, they pay for it when they can afford it, um, and this is the same when it comes to mobile phone usage. If you look in Africa and Latam, the levels of pay-as-you usage is is way higher. So why would we not expect the same for this new resource, this resource of of digital intelligence, which Everyone in the world would like to have a genius in their pocket able to answer questions whenever they want on any subject that they find of interest. Um, that's a wide, a worldwide applicable value proposition. So um, for anybody who cannot afford to do that, to, to pay upfront and, and commit to paying that on a monthly pay um, basis, and even if they can afford to do it, uh, would have to have the requisite um, credit cards and or debit cards able to do that and banking able to do that, they're excluded from that right now. Unless you give them a pay-as-you-go offering that can be um, used in a permissionless way. So Bitcoin and Lightning, um, it seems, is the obvious solution to that. So I actually tweeted about this in um, December of last year. Okay, yeah. So this is very early. I think... Um, Chat GPT was out for that was like um, a month at that point, right? I think uh, no, no, less than a month because it came out in November, oh, wow. the last day of November. So I think it was about a week. Um, and basically, what the conclusion was that you're going to have a few things. One, there will always be a need for humans to help um, train AIs. I call them like digital, um, like AI AI um, teachers, effectively, but. The way you think about this is some mechanism for training and fine-tuning um, AIs. And we're seeing that AIs, it's not just about the quantity of data, it's the quality of data. Yeah. Highly curated data leads to a way better result, uh, less of it than volumes of non-curated data. Mm-hmm. So AIs can help curate data to some degree, but there's always uh, there's still some need for humans to curate. But on the other side, Consumption is going to be interesting for everybody everywhere um, of this resource. And um, if you want to access the widest market, you're going to have to do it on it with pay as you go. And you're going to have to use a mechanism that can be offered to anybody anywhere. And that's, that's Bitcoin and Lightning. So AI needs Bitcoin and Lightning, and Lightning and Bitcoin adds value to and can be augmented by AI. I had that's that's the end conclusion. Yeah, I had not considered, and I had not really thought about the fact that the pays pay as you go model is the bigger model. Like I really had the like like it's the larger market. Um, I hadn't I had just kind of had that U.S. bias of like this is how I interact with stuff. So obviously this is kind of the norm, but when you look at a global scale, it's just not the case. And I had not really thought about that. That is a great point. The the, the, pay, the the monthly fee model is also a very good model. Sure, and it's sure. nothing wrong. And yeah. it will be a very large model. Yeah. But if you want to access every user, yeah. 
then then the the long tail will be um, a very thick long tail will be pay as you go. Gotcha. So that's that's um, and when you think about it that way, it, maybe there's an um, an option for some form of stable coin. But what stable coin can transact for fees as low as lightning? Yeah. Um, you know where it can be fractions of a penny because uh, again people are going to want to have go down to the lowest possible fee and that's and that's lightning yeah. and volatility is less of an issue if you're you're um you literally can take a small amount and pay as you go over a short period of time relatively so then if, if you're only holding it in bitcoin for five ten minutes Volatility is no longer an issue. What's far more of an issue is your ongoing fees per transaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, too, that uh, you talk about the virtuous cycle is how crazy it is that and kind of intuitive um, that, you know, you could potentially have like it makes sense that microtransactions up like the amount of bootstrapping that this could do for Fediment, for, for eCash and for Lightning by just getting someone in the door in a way that's less financially meaningful or, or less like it just it by definition is a very low risk spectrum, you know, because you're talking about maybe four bucks, maybe five bucks. Um, and so the the way that you could open up a service to people with uh, with the lowest amount of risk, but still have economically viable payments and service options mm. to those that then why not use lightning for your $7 payments and your $10 payments? You know, like you just, you just kind of like start laying the yeah. groundwork for the network and then you've got your chat built in, you've got everything. Like it just, that's really fascinating to think. Like that's another big thing. For and remember yeah. it's, and it, you should start even lower numbers than that. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. The, the uh, average monthly salary um, from a, recent report joe uh, hall was doing in cuba the average monthly salary in cuba is 23 dollars a month damn yeah that's the monthly salary and them um, and um so when you're saying four dollars you're now talking about one-fifth of the average monthly salary yeah. you know so it can get even lower than that but remember these areas of the world um latin america southeast asia um um africa are the fastest growing in populations, the fastest growing on a per GDP rate. So yes, right now they're, they're smaller markets compared to Europe and, and US and East Asia, but the direction of travel is, you know, Nigeria just alone will become, it's projected by the end of this century to be the second largest country by population in the world. Wow. It will pass over the next 50 years, it will surpass um, USA and China. Wow. Only second only to in India, and that's one country yeah. in, in in Africa. Wow! And and all, and all these other countries on the same trajectory. Plus, they're going to have access to, um, they're going to skip a lot of of the of the stuff that the Westers have gone through, and they're going to go. You're going to have satellite based internet, and you're going to they've they've skipped landline phones, gone straight to mobile. You're now all of them are going to have access to, uh, you know, a genius who's completely selfless and completely patient in their pocket yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, who will teach them at the pace they want to teach them in the language they want to teach them on any subject they want. And so this is a massive, massive um, 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 
field leveler. Yeah. Um, so you combine that with this really sort of these audience who want are hungry. Um, I mean, hungry to to compete. Plus, they're now given tools to be able to compete at any level, and the world is becoming smaller. Um, this is where all the growth is going to be over the next the next 70 years. So it starts off at $20 a month average salary. But where is it going to be in 10 years' time? Where is it going to be in 20? If we have the low time preference, this is where we should all be focusing on because that's where all the growth is yeah. happening worldwide. Yeah, I think there was a, there was a really great article that I read on, the sh on uh, Bitcoin Audible um, that was, uh, I think it was by Charlene Faderepo, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but <laughs> uh, uh, it's so funny. <laughs> I'm literally about to talk to her in like in like in like 20 minutes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, she's she's great, and she wrote an article, and it got me so excited because there was so much there was so much of that framing, like the technology leapfrogging was such a big thing, and it's like kind of sat in the back of my mind because I felt like Africa did not get the attention that it deserved for a while, and or still, like just like you say, it's underrated. Like the the growth potential there is staggering, and the fact that like some of these. Like, I think the internet is what's basically breaking the the population out from underneath the control of the government entities. Like, like it's slowly starting to put cracks in, like, it's allowing them to set communications up extra national, in a sense, in a sense. Um, and that's why, like, you have the cell phone leapfrogs, like you said, they didn't have to put up landlines they didn't have to put up cable tv and broadband and all of this stuff they jumped straight to cell phones and then now that they jump straight to satellite and like the ability to put those same cracks in the monetary base which is really where i think the bulk of the the sort of suppression for the developing world has been and basically extracting its staggering amount of resources through the essentially a monetary trick through a uh, a debt enforcement that got them to just basically extract interest payments, royalties in a sense, to the Western world. Um, like uh, I'm not sure if you've read Alex Gladstein's IMF, um, uh, like that piece. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Jesus! Sixty-four trillion dollars extracted from the developing world to to the to the Western world or whatever over a period of like thirty years or something. That's insane but to think that there's now kind of a foundation that can start to like this this network that can start to kind of grow internally that is still connected to the wider world and just doesn't it's just it's just a completely different plumbing just completely different rails and it just doesn't have that extraction dynamic um just dude the growth like the like it's it's and and, and it's 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 basically uh, and more and more, I like to talk about it in sort of global terms. Mm -hmm. It's that it's the, there are disempowered communities mm -hmm. all over the world. They, they tend to be far more of them in Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia, and so on. But they're, they're also in North America. Yeah. They're also in Europe, you know, and um, providing tools to level them up, to empower them, to empower the disempowered is, is just where the opportunity is. That's the biggest opportunity over the next... 50 to 70 years. Um, and so that will be through, you can do that through what we like to call freedom technology. So the internet is one, it's because it frees up information. Bitcoin is a, and lightning is another, and, and freedom is another, because that frees up access to value and um, medium of exchange store of value. Um, 
but there are others, and AI is a third. If, if there's centralized forms of it, but the decentralized open source forms of AI have the power to effectively provide decentralized access to intelligence, intelligence knowledge, the ability to action that knowledge, accessible to anyone, anywhere. And that's going to be a massive level as well, because the genie's at the bottle. You cannot, um, you can download this and run it on a, a computer. It can't necessarily run on a mobile phone right now. And even if it could in future, it would probably be a high-end phone for quite a long time. But what you can do is have this halfway house, just like we can do with custody, where a community can have run its own um, um, own AI. Yeah. For, for, or a company can run. We're already seeing companies, which are forms of communities, um, are showing great desire to have AIs run within their community. Do they want to send their private data off to a centralized um, big tech company to be able to oversee and review their trade secrets or so on? Or do they want to run it within their own data centers? Of course, we've given the choice. If the quality of results are the same, they're going to want to run it within their own data centers. Yeah. Yeah. Communities will be the same. If I have a choice, if I can run it within my own community, one, giving um, various cost advantages, because then I may have a as a community, we can use community savings tools, which are very popular throughout the global south, to save up money, acquire our own, um, um, our own GPU resource. And once that's acquired, we can then service our own queries at a much lower cost to ourselves. And potentially, it could become a revenue earning potential because they can then, when not being utilized, subscribe to something like GPU Topia, and it becomes effectively what I like to call a digital oxen, some sort of resource that can actually <laughs> um, provide, uh, provide instead of muscle labor, but mind-based labor 24-7 and, there is, and the, the, uh, any gain from that going to the benefit of the community as a whole. That's crazy. So how does, how does the FETI interaction with this look? Is it, is it largely the, your, your context of like tackling this this integration or this problem, so to speak, um, is it, you know, you'll have an AI, like, like you, you know, you say discord or whatever, um, like you'll have an AI based community or whatever, and you'll be able to plug into it. Like, like how does, how do AI and Fetty fit together exactly in, okay. in your context? So this is, this is, this is, um, not the now, by the way, okay. this is okay. us just, just riffing and, and, and ideating and, and the exact form is, is to be discovered. But um, there are a few different ways. First of all, Fedi um, provides software, so we don't host anything. It's run by communities through Fedi Mints, et cetera. But let's just say you have a, um, a community using Fedi Mint. Um, they have servers that may be hosted in the cloud. They may be hosted in the diaspora or hosted locally. Um, and users are using Fedi. Um, now, one simple way would be they ask questions and use a chat service, but the chat service, instead of being a remote centralized service, can actually be hosted by uh, one or more of the servers that are running the Fedi Mint. So it responds to qu queries local to that community. One that gives you privacy within the community, 
and two, it's a potential local cost, a lower cost, because the profit motive will be different. So that's that's the first step. The second step is um, communities may want to um, set up community-based funds. So, for example, instead of individuals will have their own balance, but the community itself will have a series of pots of capital for some purpose, saving up for a for a, an extension to the schoolhouse or whatever it may be. Um, or fixing the clock on uh, since a lightning strike hit it uh, um, in 1960 something from Back to the Future, whatever whatever the fund's purpose is. Um, now um, you could have this same GPU that's that's servicing local queries, running a local open source AI model, um, and there are now several dozen of them of um, of varying quality. But it could also subscribe to something like GPUtopia and effectively become a revenue stream for the community as well. So when it's idle, huh. it's responding to questions abroad and any money it's making, it's depositing into the same community fund that people are normally themselves from their work regularly um, donating to. So it just becomes another revenue source, but for the community as a whole. And then... The community would use the, the mechanism that it already does to disseminate that with the money that's saved by the community for any activity the community deems fit. So these are these are some of the aspects it can add to the global mesh network of of GP resource as well as service the local community's um, GPU API and AI related queries more efficiently and at a lower cost. So these are these are some of the things just just brainstorming if we of how it could work together, and the, and this is a halfway house between the extremes of everybody in the world asking either Microsoft, Facebook, Google, or OpenAI to for a query on on everything from general information to the most sensitive personal medical questions. That's one future which seems like an Orwellian nightmare, <laughs> or. <laughs> Or everybody running their own personal AI on their own mobile phone, which would be the ideal, um, but um, realistically, most people won't be able to afford or be able to technically competent enough to run their own personal AI. Yeah. You have the same challenge with with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It, it, the ideal would be to self custody, and an AI, by the way, is a greater challenge because because of the GPU processing power needed to as compared to self-custodying your Bitcoin. But it's still, as you get more and more self-custody, it's, it's, it's more challenging. And then the simplest is giving it all to a centralized party. Um, but this community custody is this halfway house. And you can think of a similar thing with AI. You can have community-run AIs, which provide you many of the benefits of centralized, but without being so far away from from where you are so that from where the end user is gotcha man man I, it's exciting where we're heading into over the next really next is several months. it really is you know like yeah. one of the things that like just gets me specifically about ai is um and obviously it's kind of integration with it's funny because bitcoin is in this place too is it like what I think a lot of these technologies are enabling is kind of this this middle to low end ground where all of these people 
or all of these businesses that didn't have the scale or didn't have the capacity, the internet is here too. Like really these are like, you know, yes. stacking technologies where the ability to provide a service to anyone in a permissionless way where they can access and that you can do it for at a smaller and smaller scale is just completely opening up. You know, like, like people talk about like, oh, the, I, and I, this was an initial worry of mine too, is that we're just going to be into this huge centralized AI and it was going to be like this godlike thing and it was all going to be on Apple and Microsoft. But increasingly, like I just went up and looked yesterday, just kind of out of curiosity for the best image generation website or whatever, like, like what's, a, what's a good uh, diffuser, right, for AI? And I literally found like a list of just a hundred that just had like all their, their own little quirks or their own little like aesthetic or whatever, just like, like a service after another service, just like over and over and over again. I'm just like, this is endless. There's so many of them already. And I think that's the, yeah. so that's the, key, that's the key challenge. It's the, um, it's the difference between being centralized and decentralized. And that's, and that's the key. Um, you have centralized internet and we and we still need to do a lot more progress on decentralized internet sure. mesh networks mm. um more different providers but but that's the that's the way to provide this sort of counter force um when it comes to money you have centralized money and decentralized money and then when it comes to ai you have centralized ai which came out first but now we're seeing this massive demand and interest and energy around decentralized ai and it will be the same for all of these um all these powerful technologies, which um, historically have been held by a few, but we now have mechanisms and protocols to mean that they can be disseminated across more and more people and more and more decentralized over time. So at some point, everybody will have a ring, which you, know, <laughs> you can, your own personal AI, yeah. your own personal hardware wallet uh, with access to Lightning, your own personal mesh network um, <laughs> you know, um, router, repeater, and mm -hmm. so on. But um, there's a process to, to, uh, that, that takes to get there, and there will be need for things everywhere in between. But that, that is a direction of travel. That's where we have to keep pushing towards, decentralization. That's awesome. Yeah. So I don't want to take up too much of your time. You said you might have a call, like, really soon here. Um, so uh, uh, how about you just tell the audience... Any, any final thoughts that you want to just kind of expand on or, and then also let them know where to find you and how to stay up on this project or if they can, if there's something to play with, um, just give me, give me, give me the spiel. What should I be looking for too? So I think we've covered everything. Um, it was always, it was really good to talk to you. Yeah, man. It's good to um, finally sit down. The, the best way to stay up is like we're, we are working around the clock. Um, the best way to find out more about Fedi is to visit fedi.xyz, F-E-D-I.xyz. Um, you can also then find out the technologies that's built upon, such as Fedi Mint, Bitcoin and Lightning from there. For me, um, I don't tweet too much. I'm focused on just like doing proof of work, but when I do, so um, and, and same as Nostra, although it, it will be um, at OBI on Twitter. Okay. Um, is to find out more about me, dude. You got the best. You got the best handle on Twitter, man. OBI. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty short. <laughs> awesome. Okay, dude. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. 
Um, I'll uh, uh, let's keep the conversation fresh, uh, and when uh, things drop on that front, I am super super eager to kind of play and mess around with the new things. And if you want any feedback, absolutely. I'm happy. I'm absolutely happy to be there. Um, so again, thank you for coming on the show, dude. Absolutely, definitely. See you later. Better man.